Hello and you're very welcome to the Irish NFL show. Instant reaction from a crazy week five of NFL football. Joining me, Shane Brennan, is Frankie Abbott from Wisconsin. Frankie, how are you feeling right now? Oh, you know, same as every Sunday, just recovering from an awful Broncos loss. How about about yourself? Yeah, um, I think in the Broncos case, it, it seems to be a case of hope and then crashed and burned. Whereas in the in the Patriots case, it was almost uh, from for me, it was oh we're just terrible from the start. But but we're gonna, I'm sure we'll get into that. There's a lot of things happening in Week Five. We had the game in London. We had so many things happening in the six o'clock and nine o'clock kickoffs, and we are into our instant reaction just as the Chiefs and the Broncos both finish up before Sunday Night Football kicks off here. Um, and I'm gonna go start in with the Chiefs because obviously there's the the kind of main talking point coming out of that was the fact that Travis Kelsey had to come off the field and then he came back on, scored a touchdown, I guess, showed that toughness that Patrick Mahomes, we know Patrick Mahomes for and shows the toughness that we appreciate of mm. footballers despite the fact that, you know, this is going to bring up the conversation about those, the services they use in those fields. But I thought the uh, Isaiah Pacheco was very good for the Chiefs uh, today. I thought he made some pretty important carries the rest of the wide receiver core uh, made their catches and the Vikings, even though they had a chance, still couldn't come in close to like they did last season. And now they're sitting at one and four. Yeah, I mean, I think depending upon the way you want to look at it, if you're a Vikings fan, it kind of feels like kind of, you know, you're just kind of staying on the course. You know, I think they're kind of aware that this is probably the last year of this kind of core being put together. But you still want to have promise going into next season. I think, you know, you, you continue to see that Kevin O'Connell, good offensive-minded coach, you know, Kirk Cousins still is like a completely fine quarterback. You still need to figure out some pieces on this defense, but it was also just kind of like a really bad matchup. Like when you talk about what Brian Flores tries to do as a defensive mind and then who he's going up against, like Patrick Mahomes takes great advantage of these defensive coordinators that try to play aggressive. And I mean, he's playing against the most aggressive defensive coordinator in the league. So it's just kind of a tough matchup there. But yeah, like you said, Vikings continue to put up a good play, which I think is just kind of something that's like, it's important for a team that's kind of, doesn't knows they're not there yet, but wants to try to be there soon. I think they recognize they have some pieces to work around. They have like the Christian Darasaws and the Justin Jeffersons on their offense. They can kind of start to build something around the TJ Hawkinsons, Addison they threw in this year. You know, I, I think that that unit, you know, you can see in the next two to three years, you get the, the right piece at the helm, the post Kirk Cousins quarterback at the helm. They can be a team that kind of launches off for them. So, you know, a, a disappointing loss, but I mean, it's the Chiefs. And then, like you said, I, I as personally, as a Travis Kelsey uh, fantasy owner, I was very happy to see him return. I saw the notification pop up that he went out. I was a little devastated. Then I saw he caught, caught a touchdown. I was like, okay, I don't know really what's going on here, but we'll take those. So, yeah, I, it just kind of seems like a same old Chiefs type of deal, but good for the Vikings offense that they're able to kind of, I'd say, keep pace with one of the more underrated and better defenses to start the year in Kansas City. Yeah, but I mean, when I when I was watching the Vikings, what, what struck me is the fact that they're almost very reliant on making Kirk Cousins do the plays. And Kirk Cousins, I think, is probably the the strong point in that offense where, you know, the, it can be a bit hit and miss in terms of their receiver core. Like, they didn't really run the ball that much. I mean, he, he threw the ball 47 times, mm-hmm. leading for 29, 284 yards and two touchdowns, which is pretty good numbers. But I don't know. I, it just... And we saw uh, Kevin O'Connell bring a couple of things out of the bag. They did a fake punt. Uh, which kept the drive going for the Vikings early on in the game. So you can tell that he's he's that the Vikings are quite happy to try something different to try and get things back on on track and get those scores against a team which they knew would put up 20, 25, 27 points in the cheese. But you know, do they need to diversify their offense a little bit more instead of just relying on Kirk Cousins to 
to try and pull something out of the bag every week. Yeah. Oh, I mean, definitely. But I mean, that was, I think that was kind of the risk they were taking moving off of uh, Dalvin Cook, moving to more of an Alexander Madison led backfield. And I think like it's, it's a, it's a tough struggle. I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, we saw it in years for with the Rams where it's kind of like, you know, you have such a potent passing offense. How do you mix in a good enough running game? You know, how do you, you know, dedicate enough resources to have a quality running game without it kind of taking away from what this passing offense can be? So that will definitely be an interesting thing to keep an eye on with uh, O'Connell's offense over the next couple of years. Yeah, but uh, speaking of an offense that often relies on on its quarterback and I think is was starting to really work today, was Cincinnati Bengals who went to Arizona. There was a bit of a tit for tat game early on, but in the the second half they got ten. The Bengals got ten points in the fourth quarter and ended up being thirty four to twenty victors in Arizona. And not only that. It seemed like Joe Burrow was back. He wasn't just—he wasn't just trying to be serviceable. He was going for those deep balls. He was connecting. He was playing well. He was a Joe Burrow that we've been missing for the first few weeks of the season. And considering how bad uh, the offensive show was between the Ravens and Steelers earlier on, it was great to see that the Bengals are still in this hunt for the AFC North. And you wouldn't think that for a team with that record, but because of the talent they have, they're still in the hunt. And then Jamar Chase get three touchdowns. Um, you know, last week he said, well, listen, I'm always open. Now he has the guy throwing to him to make sure that he gets the ball when he's always open. The Bengals are really putting a marker down. I know the Arizona Cardinals aren't the best team in the world, but mm-hmm. I really think this is a, a marker that the Bengals needed to try and push on for this AFC North title because if the Ravens go to London next week and slip up against the Titans, which is quite possible considering what happened with the Bills earlier on today, you know, the Bengals could really push on here. Is this Joe Burrow finally back? Are we... I'd long last seen Joe Burrow be who we who we want him to be so we can see them charge for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I think a little bit. You know, it'll be one of those things where you want to kind of see it, you know, with the calf injury, it's always one of those, hopefully it doesn't get re-aggravated at any point in the next, you know, few weeks. But I think a little bit, uh, like you did make a mention of, you know, this, this Cardinals defense, I will say, not the most talented unit. It's not loaded to the brim with talent. I'd say it's probably one of the lesser talented groups in the league. But we've seen under Gannon, you know, they've been just, this entire team is doing this very hard fought, you know, they almost remind me of the Campbell Lions from a couple of years ago, where even if they're not winning a lot of games, they're in a lot of these games. I think today was probably the first time they just went up against like a pairing, like a Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase connection, where it's just kind of like, they're going to get theirs, you know, like they just don't have the guys on the outside. I think they're, Keytrell Clark, I know was a rookie corner I liked, but I mean, he's probably not a guy you want playing on the outside in his first year, especially in like week five against Jamar Chase. I know they've got, like, Marco Wilson. Like, it's it's not the best secondary. So, like, when you're facing against guys like that, that can just kind of beat you one-on-one on the outside, you're gonna they're going to get theirs. I think this was kind of just another one of those games where, like you said, the, the Bengals' offense really, truly does feel back. We were hearing that Burroughs' cap has been feeling better this week, and it really did look it. You know, you saw a little bit more of the, not so much the running, but just a little bit of the moving ability in the, in the pocket that I think helped him out a lot. And he looked a lot more comfortable out there on the field than I think he has the first, like, month of the season. Yeah, and just to go back to the stats, I remember uh, the year that the Bengals made the Super Bowl that we were in awe at Joe Burrow's ability to throw interceptions, and I just didn't care because he still he could throw an interception and get four touchdowns. And sure enough, today he was 317 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. And Joe yep. Mixon was helping out a lot, 25 carries, 81 yards. I mean, that's yeah. This is this is the Bengals' offense being the Bengals' offense that we thought they would be from the start. They're finally clicking in. So, um, on on the Arizona side of the ball, I mean. The Cardinals are one and four, even though they probably have. I think they're better than that record that they have been through the season. Um, 
they really put up a fight throughout the game. I thought Joshua Dobbs was good in the first half. Was, I'll be honest, when I was paying a bit more attention, I think uh, during the second half, my attention got divided, diverted elsewhere. But um, I still think that there is there is a conversation to be had in Arizona as to how good this team can be, especially oh, yeah. in the face, when they face against their own divisional rivals. Or when a person like Kyler Murray comes back. You know, it's it's one of those things where their offense every single week is legitimately just very fun to watch. Uh, Drew Petson, I believe that's his name. I don't want to butcher it. But Drew Petson's their OC, came over from Cleveland, and he's he's been excellent. You know, the stuff they're running, they're running just a lot of very fun, unique stuff that fits their personnel so well. We're seeing Rondell Moore be used better than he has throughout his entire NFL career so far. He's being such an explosive, fun playmaker that I think people kind of thought he maybe could be when he got to the league, and we just haven't gotten to see it up until now. And now he's being used all over formations and all different alignments. He's being used as that motion man, that speed out guy. You know, they're they're doing a lot of different things with a, just him in particular, but pretty much everybody on this offense. That's just like, again, another really exciting group to see where when you talk about a team that, you know, that not trying to make any Cardinals fans sad, this isn't their year. They're aware this isn't their year. You know, you have your starting quarterback, you're paying a ton of money, torn ACL. He might not even be your quarterback next year. This team knows where they're at, but I think the things that they're showing you can say, okay, wow, I can visualize this team with, you know, a top five pick at maybe quarterback, maybe receiver, maybe another pick towards this offensive line. Now that offense could be really genuinely cooking. You get an off season of spending towards that defense. This could be a fun team considering they seem like a well-coached unit and they seem very bought in in this new head coach that is Gannon. Yeah. I guess quickly before we move on to the Broncos, I got to have a little quick word about the the Eagles beating the Rams 23-14. to 14. The Rams... In the first half, looked like that they they were offensively cooking. They had Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua, uh, both in the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a touchdown in the first and second quarter, and then didn't score in the second half. Uh, well, we we know that uh, football is a two half game, as you see throughout the league. Um, very quickly, I guess well, I want to know your take on this: is uh, the Philadelphia Eagles' signature move? Is it the uh, the brotherly shove or the tush push? What where do you stand? On that, because I think you know, with the way that the Eagles dominated the second half of this game, and the way that they that they made a statement to the NFC, particularly before the 49ers played the Cowboys, they are still really in the hunt. You know, I think the you know this is you know the debate over their signature move is probably both in the name and whether it should exist. I think it's probably one of the biggest takeaways to come out of that that clash. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know the whole pushing from the back thing. I know a lot of people don't like it, but it's just one of those things where it's like. If you take, like, that, like, if you, you'd have to be so, like, I don't know how they really get rid of it. OCs aren't dumb. They find very interesting ways to make things like this work, where if you say, okay, maybe you can't push a quarterback from behind. We've seen coaches doing it with tight ends, where they have a tight end take the direct snap. Maybe, like, there's just a lot of different variables where I don't necessarily know how you word it to just ban that. Because in my mind, like, again, these 32 OCs are paid quite a bit of money to figure out, okay, well, how can I get around that little rule to make it work in my advantage? So it's almost one of those things where I don't necessarily know what the best course of action is against it. Because again, it's that like you're allowed, like ball carriers are allowed to turn their legs and get pushed from the pile. Like that's not against the rules. So if you're going to specifically say quarterback, well, then are people going to be upset if, say, the Titans start using Derrick Henry in direct snap formations under center? Like are people going to dislike that if he's getting pushed from behind? Like, it's just kind of a very tough gamble where, yes, I think it's a little bit frustrating to see, but I also just kind of am like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know really what you, what verbiage you put in the rulebook to say you can't do this, but also these other things that we do let happen, you can still do that, you know? Yeah, it's maybe it's because I grew up in Ireland and we have a more uh, 
a more rustic approach to sports and that's a popular thing. Yeah. I think it's very easy to see in rugby that I, I love watching it. I think it's just, brilliant. And, 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 uh, and I don't, again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm poisoned by listening to Jason Kelsey in the podcast where he's like, I don't know how, why every team isn't doing this for one mm-hmm. yard. Surely everybody can get one yard if they do this. Now, not every team has the O line that the, that the Eagles have. They right. They got they got one fifty rushing yards today and only let in one sack. But I mean, I don't know. I just I, I think there is a place for it in the game, but I understand why a lot of people don't. Right. No, I mean, as you said, I mean it's one of those things where there is there are counters to it. Like I mean, we've seen defenses get really good at running these tight formations. You see them run these four man fronts that where everyone's just bearing down and slanting inside. Like we've seen teams get stops on it. It's not like it's impossible. Yes, it's a very 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 high percentage play. But, like, I think we've also seen the risk involved with, like, quarterbacks getting hurt in it. Like, it's not flawless, and, I mean, no play is, you know, going to be flawless, but definitely it is something where it is very tough to tough to manage. Yeah, moving on now to uh, to the New York Jets and the Denver Broncos. I guess to, to, to quickly sum this up, I mean, I was watching it, and it kind of reminds me of watching the Broncos a couple of weeks ago where they came out in the first half, and I thought, oh, okay, the offense is starting to click now. Russell's starting to cook, he's... he's He's passing. He's running. The guys are catching balls. They everything seems to have a plan. And then Denver come out in the second half, and they're just they're just not there anymore. Yeah. Offensively, the same thing for something very similar. I think happened against the Raiders a couple of weeks ago in Mile High. I don't know what they're doing at halftime. Was there something in the Gatorade that makes them forget what it was, was they were doing in the first half, or are those very easy to read for a coach like like, the, like you know for the Jets coaching staff? To know, okay, we we're gonna change this, this, and this, and and hammer them in the second half. What what is it about the Broncos that they just couldn't finish the job? No, I mean it's like you said, man. I mean they're very good on script throughout this throughout these first five weeks, first few drives. They look great, even on even on their defense. Like they showed up on defense to the first like half of the game, even through the entire game. Honestly, they caught a pick at the end from Patrick Sertan. That was great. But like this team, man. I mean they just seven years of losing has just there's just so much on this roster and like I don't know if you're supposed to blame the coach or the players but just like they just ma- like you know you, you hear about the good teams and how they make winning plays how like when you need a guy to step up someone steps up on the team the Broncos are the polar opposite of that when they like when they need something just to go okay everything goes to shit you know like okay cool we just forced a three and out on the first drive let's let's get a good opportunity for our offense oh we muffed the punt like that is the perfect encapsulation of the Broncos for the past seven years. And it's, I mean, and again, props to the Jets today. I mean, uh, Robert Sala, I was telling you this before we started this up. He outcoached Nathaniel, or Nathaniel, he outcoached Sean Payton. I've watched Sean Payton and I'm an avid Sean. Well, it's getting a little bit less week by week, but I'm a Sean Payton believer, but I've watched this man now get outcoached by Josh McDaniels, Ron Rivera, Robert Sala, uh, very nearly Matt Eberflus. Like, these are four coaches that are probably on the the top of the, these coaches won't have jobs next season. And that's not even me trying to bash them. I think it's just kind of the direction these franchises are going. But that, that says a lot about the coach you just gave up a first and second round pick for and are likely paying like a $30 million a year contract to if you're the Walmart people that own the Broncos. It's just, it's embarrassing. And again, for like, all the other games, whatever. You know what, Broncos, I've been saying about a lot of these other teams, they're another team that just seems to know this might not be their year, whatever. They're trying to just kind of look good while they're doing it. But where we're talking about the Cardinals, and even in some cases the Vikings, even the Vikings are not a great example, but I'd say the Cardinals, where they're able to look respectable in these games, and you're like, okay, like I can see this really working out if they get some other stuff going. The Broncos, like, I don't know, man. Like they, The things they do, the stupid decisions they make, 
you see, like, I just, one thing I just want to harp on, I'm sorry, I just got, like, for example, the Jets came into this game, they were missing their cornerback two and their nickel corner. In the third quarter, in the, excuse me, in the third quarter, Sauce Gardner went out, right? So they were down their top three cornerbacks. It was like midway through the fourth quarter before any before the Broncos wide receivers had over like 10 yards receiving. It was not like they came into this game for some reason. And also Javante Williams wasn't playing, who's Bronco, who's the Broncos like primary early down back. They didn't have him, yet for some reason the game plan wasn't let's just try to attack their corners. Let's try to attack the weakness on their defense. Instead, Denver said Let's just look cute as hell all game. Let's let this stay close. Let's repeatedly shoot ourselves in the foot so that Zach Wilson doesn't have to do anything and he can get a win. Like, he literally threw a pick on the final drive of the game and he gets to come out with a win because his defense gets a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Like, just embarrassing. Literally embarrassing from the Denver Broncos. And again, it's hard to not, like, as a big Broncos fan, and again, someone that was excited when Peyton came in and is still excited... It's kind of hard for me to be like, man, you give Sean Payton, Caleb Williams, this team's going to be good. Like, I don't know, man. I'm watching him do some pretty dumb stuff every single week. Every single drive, I'm like, man, that was a weird play call. That didn't really make sense. The personnel decisions don't make sense. You can go on every fantasy show, every NFL show. You'll hear Marvin Mims' name. They'll be like, man, Marvin Mims, what a rookie sensation he's been. Guess how many catches Marvin Mims has on the season? Nine. Guess how many he had today? One. For four yards. He got a catch behind the line of scrimmage like it's stuff like that where it's just kind of like dude you're you're Sean Payton you're this offensive genius guru you have a guy actively producing so much for you and you're not even getting him on the fucking field sorry this is it's so baffling to me and I just like oh it's exhausting had to get that off so yeah Good job uh, for the Jets, though. They look they look like oh yeah after that that nice therapy session I think we can move on to not not Russell Wilson, but Zach Wilson. I think um, this is the second win he he's led the the Jets to, which to be fair to him, that is the truth. Yeah. Uh, I thought he uh, he you know, he was strong against the the Chiefs last week. Patrick Mahomes even even sort of acknowledged as much himself, and he comes in here and he makes a couple of decent plays in the second half. And yeah, you know, when is back against the wall when he needed that we're not seeing. From a few other quarterbacks across the league, like it's not like Zach Wilson is the worst quarterback player on a good team. There are other quarterbacks that weren't making the types of plays like uh, when I think there was there was one sort of mid in the, the fourth quarter that pushed the Jets on to get it was either late field goal or late touchdown, which ended up gonna being the difference because that meant that that the Broncos had were three points down and trying to push back for themselves. I mean, we were all kind of laughing at Robert Sala when he suggested that. Zach Wilson is the man to go forward with the Jets. Are we still laughing now? Or is, is there improvement? Is there enough for us to say, okay, you know, maybe there is something in this kid? Or, you know, is it just a case of, oh, well, it's the Broncos. He kind of added probably a little bit easier than, than he did. Yeah. They gave up 177 yards to Brees Hall on the ground today. Like, that defense is just despicably embarrassing. It's so funny that Vance Joseph, before this year, was supposedly getting, like, head coach consideration. <laughs> Ugh, what a guy. Uh, anyway, well, it, it's a good good day to, to be a Jets fan, uh, in fairness, or any anytime they, they get a win, they build hope. You were mentioning earlier about uh, people being outcoached by Josh McDonald's and person who I'm afraid will prob- could very well be outcoached by Josh McDonald's next, this time next week is a Mr. Bill Belichick after the New England Patriots suffered 
34-0 loss at home to the New Orleans Saints. Now, I don't know. I, I this is a I I went through the effort. And sometimes you know you, you you try to watch bits on Red Zone. I, I had this on even till the very end. I watched this as well as having the, the Red Zone. You're a tracker. Oh well, I mean, in fairness, the Patriots fans we 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 were overdue our pain, and I think we're finally starting to feel it now, which is fair enough. I embrace it. That's part of being an NFL fan. That's part of being party. I think there's two people to blame for the problems at the New England Patriots right now. The general manager and the head coach. Shane are both the same guy. Um, the reason I have to blame the general manager is because there's, there aren't really any problems on defense. Now, the defense wasn't 100% today, but I mean, 19 points out of those 36 were given on turnovers. Mm-hmm. The, the Patriots turn over the ball. And it was a similar story against the, the Dallas Cowboys last week. The Cowboys got a bulk of their points because the offense just let the ball slip. And a couple of times, the defense did a good job and only holding the Cowboys to three rather than giving up seven. It's, I, I'm personally, I'm putting three quarters of the blame on the offense because they give, Mac Jones has the ball. He'll either try to go, go long and he misses or he doesn't quite get it to a receiver. He'll get it in, in the direction of a receiver but the receiver isn't good enough to catch it or he drops it or he doesn't make yards after catch. Or what they love doing is they bring back Mac Jones and he'll just shovel it off to the side. It's an easy one that he can complete, but effectively like a screen play. But today, they never seem to get more than two yards on that. Nothing on offense worked. And I just have, have to question, what are the Patriots doing all week that they keep coming into these games and getting knocked down by 16, 20 points before they start to play? Against the Eagles, it was 16 nil down after I think it was the first quarter. If not, it was very early in the second quarter. And then they started to play. Similar story against the, the Dolphins before they, they went in. And, and th- at least in those two games, they made it a game in the end. Mm. This time, there was, there was absolutely nothing. I mean, there's three points across two games and the ship 70-something. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a situation in, in New England. Um, and I don't really know how to fix it because on offense, on the O-line, in quarterback... Uh, on wide receiver and running back, none of them are good enough. Like you oh. have, you have a squad of serviceable players, but serviceable players are only good if they're surrounded by playmakers. There isn't a single playmaker on that on that New England team. Yeah, no, I mean you, you said it. It feels like kind of an island of misfit toys. You know, I was looking at the receiver core before the season. It was so like, I don't want to like I don't I don't know I don't want to call it ugly because they had a guy to play each spot, but it was like. Ooh, like you almost wanted a little bit more out of literally every single player. You know, you were just like, ah, man, like, and then it's like, okay, well, who's going to be throwing them the ball? And it's like, Mac Jones. It's like, ooh, like, it's just, it's just all, it's just all bad. Like you said, it's on the, it's on the guy who constructed it all. It's on like, what are they possibly doing throughout the week that's making it look this bad? But I mean, it just, it just looks like a team that just doesn't believe in what they're doing. They don't look like they believe in the coach that's kind of setting up the game plan for them. It feels like the offense is kind of trying to look for somebody to be like, like you said, look for that playmaker, look for that spark, look for that guy you can reliably say, this guy can get us a play if we need one. Who is that guy on the Patriots offense? They don't have him, you know, they literally don't have any. They have a bunch of like, you know, again, not trying to like bring anybody down. They don't have any, they don't have that A tier guy. They've got a lot of B and C tier guys that are kind of hoping that an A tier guy can prop them up. But right now, they look worse than they are because they're expected to be A and B tier guys when they just really aren't that. So, yeah. And, I mean, then, what well, you're talking about giving teams props, the Saints defense is just also one of the best units. 
on the defensive side of the ball in the league. I mean, they're just uh, Cam Jordan had an incredible game today. Their defensive backs are just so well coached. I mean, they're just they're a unit, and they they play like when we're talking about the offense for the Patriots coming out and not having a lot of confidence. That Saints defense has a lot of confidence, and they have a lot of playmakers and guys that they will let you know when they make a play, and that only gets the other guys going. So I mean. Just, just a bad situation that compounds on top of itself. That I mean, yeah. What, what do you think ends up happening with Bill after this year? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's talk about whether Bill Belichick can be put into some other role. But I mean, what other role are you going to put? Are you going to have me? Right. He's been he's been general manager and head coach for twenty something years. So you can't make somebody else general manager but keep him on as head coach mm-hmm. because he's be he's only been used to one way. Uh, he's if he's going to leave. He's going to leave. If, he, if he's on the board in some kind of Alex Ferguson type role, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that, or maybe that's a sort of much more low key. But even then, how does the next coach come in and try to make things better when you've Bill Belichick looking over your shoulder all the time? I I I don't know, and it's, it's a it, it is frustrating. Like you said, the Saints were good today. I do uh, absolutely taking nothing away from them at all. Right? Yeah. yeah. Derek Carr was solid. They knew when when to attack. They knew when to stop the run. They knew how to use the on your back New England crowd to bring the Patriots down and and fair play to them. They, they really did, did a good job. I'll say one more thing before we move on. The main argument for Mac Jones being, in the in the starting half of the season, the main argument for Mac Jones being the guy for New England is the fact that, hey, he doesn't do explosive things, but he gets the ball out of the, out of the pocket quick and he doesn't make mistakes. He's tidy. So once he's tidy, you can build around that. The last couple of games, all it's been is just interceptions, fumbles, mistakes, turnovers. Like he might as well be sponsored by iPhones. You can call him the Apple turnover. He's yep. just been. He's just the last couple of games. I don't, and there's questions over whether he has the personality to really bring a locker room with him or all this. It's just it is in general a mess. And I'd like to say that if if there's one person I would trust to fix it, it's Bill Belichick. And you think that that the winningest coach in history is the man to fix it? But um, again, one hundred percent sure. Moving on to um, to to other matters. I think in the uh, elsewhere in the earlier games, we had the Baltimore Ravens, who will be playing in London next week. I'm very excited to watch in London next week. Oh yeah, and and the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they played in a very typical midwestern kind of defensive battle that you usually see, not necessarily in early October, but in the later parts of the year, where it's not it's not it's some people call it ugly football. I don't. Think I wouldn't call it ugly football, but I mean it wasn't. You know, they didn't they didn't light up, and I think there's a lot of pressure on the Steelers' offensive coordinator because some of the calls today were a, a bit perplexing. But the Steelers, in fairness to them, they won out seventeen ten. They are now three and two. The Baltimore Ravens have been pegged back down to three and two. The Bengals are now firing. This AFC North, just when we thought that the Ravens had it pretty much sealed up, this AFC North keeps bringing up surprises. Yeah, like you said, it was such a classic AFC North battle. I mean, he, he, it felt like you turned it on, there was a quarterback getting hit every few seconds. This was like, it was it was kind of interesting watching Lamar Jackson come a bit down to earth. You know, the I think it was the pitch they ran on fourth down he had where he just like kind of pitched it backwards and you had John Harbaugh's reaction of just absolute horror. You know, it's this is one of those games. TJ Watt had a good game. Mike McDonald was dialing up some really cool stuff. And yeah, in the end, uh, George Pickens had that really nice play on the deep ball from Kenny Pickett that ended up getting connected on, and they ended up coming out of there with the win. It's like you said, it's so funny because, like, as you said, everyone's beating up on the Steelers' offense. You know, everyone's thinking to themselves like, uh, the Steelers seems kind of leading the division right now, and that AFC North is like 
one of the best divisions in football. So it, it's kind of interesting where we just we keep watching Mike Tomlin just make these teams work. You know, it, it's one of those things where it's like you, you just can't you can't really ever doubt them. So I, we'll see what we'll see what they do the rest of the season because one of the, like at the same time where I'm like, man, this offense looks so bad. You know, it's one of those things where it's it's a second year quarterback. They've got a lot of young pieces. Would it shock me if we watch these guys hit a bye week and then they figure some stuff out and then they actually become like at least a good enough offense that they can be complimentary to the defense? No. So it's it's really anything can happen still for this Steelers team. And I mean, they continue to show that week in and week out. Yeah, the Steelers are a team which you, they could turn up and they could be awful and they could turn up and they can really grind you down. And, uh, and that's the beauty of a lot of these teams in the league. The Ravens, meanwhile, I think I was watching them. They they really had the chance to win the game. They really had a chance to take control of it, but they kept dropping passes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was like, oh, okay, Lamar didn't throw that one as well as he could have. And sometimes you're like, oh, the receivers could really do a better job here, you know. And they're gonna have to go to London next week to play against Tennessee Titans, um, and where they're, they're gonna if they're gonna put the ball in the air, they need to catch them. So I, I'm hoping that they bring sticky gloves to Tottenham next week. No, definitely, and I mean. It's so interesting when you look at the body types that surrounded Lamar with. You know, it's very exciting when you talk about guys like Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham and uh, I can't think of the third guy, but they have a third guy that's kind of that similar, like, 5'10", 5'11", like, maybe hitting 200 pounds type of guys. And, you know, those guys are really fun and exciting when they can get into space. But when you talk about, like you're saying, these guys that you really need to make a catch in traffic, these guys that when it gets tight into the red zone area, you need to come up with a play. They really only have Mark Andrews who you can reliably count on to make those types of plays. And today, he wasn't able to consistently make them. I, I think he had one of those drops. I remember being like, wow, like Mark Andrews usually kind of makes those kind of plays. Like, It's a weird formula they've got going in Baltimore. And it'll be interesting seeing if that kind of ends up being something that hurts them a lot as the season kind of goes forward. Because again, like I think when you talk about having a guy like Lamar, who is obviously his best traits are being able to create plays, being able to kind of move around. You really would think having kind of those bigger bodies, I think, that are A, better blockers, first and foremost, but B, kind of those bodies that I think can kind of use tighter windows, which you're going to get a lot more when you have guys kind of running laterally so much because you have a guy scrambling outside the pocket. It's just kind of a bit of an interesting construction of the offense, and it'll be curious to see kind of if they look to add a bigger body because that's interesting. From the last offseason, like, they were apparently very close to having Cortland Sutton on their team. Like, he was someone they basically had the trade completed for, the Bronx ended up pulling back on it in the last second. And when you talk about a bigger body receiver, like I think he fits that mold perfectly. So maybe that's something we see kind of creeped up back here in the next couple of weeks of trade talks. Yeah, just to, just to spin through the rest of the games, as we sit here, the best teams in the AFC, the Dolphins at 4-1, they defeated the New York Giants earlier in Miami, a pretty pretty convincing 31-16 win. Uh, the, the, the Chiefs are also sitting at 4-1 on top of that division in the NFC. The Eagles are 5-0. and uh, we're, As we're recording this, we're yet to see the result of the 49ers and the Cowboys. Um, and the poor old Carolina Panthers, who we keep forgetting when we talk about the race for Caleb Williams, because, you know, they have Bryce Young this year's number one pick. But the uh, Carolina Panthers are sitting at 0-5. I, um, I have no idea what's going on there. What kind of not just... What's, what's not working for them? Dude, it's so weird because, like... I really liked that Carolina coaching staff going into the year. Like I liked Frank Reich. I liked Thomas Brown. The he was, I believe, the run game coordinator for the Rams, or maybe the offensive quality control coach. He was something for the Rams' offense the past few years, but got promoted to go then be the OC there. 
Uh, they brought in McCown. Like I, I liked a lot of the people they brought in to surround Bryce Young with. They are doing him no favors in offensive play calling. Their offensive play calling has been very bad. And I mean, it doesn't help at all that their best, like they don't really have any, they don't have a lot of great separators. First of all, I think that's probably the main problem. I mean, Adam Thielen's a good possession guy and he can do some things, but he's, he's obviously not an over the top athlete at this point. That's able to kind of go out there and create separation. And Bryce Young's really good at working the middle of the field, kind of finding those windows, kind of being able to hit guys on those timing routes that are able to separate, but they just don't have those guys. So, I mean, it's kind of all bad. And I don't want to make it sound like Bryce Young has been great either. Bryce Young hasn't been necessarily good, but I'd also say he hasn't been as bad as it's looked. Like, he's made a few bonehead, ugly plays, but there has also been a lot of flashes of the stuff that were his great traits coming out. But, yeah, man, I mean, they just have a lot of figuring out to do because, again, this off. The offense is not doing him any favors. And again, when you talk about teams needing to put their rookies and especially rookie quarterbacks into good situations so that they can continue to develop, right now we're seeing the opposite happen for Bryce Young. And it seems like every week we're almost seeing kind of these bad habits start to build up. Like the picky through the day where he just didn't see the overhang defender. Like that's an interception that I don't think college Bryce Young made once. Like I don't, I've not seen him. He does. He sees the field very well. That's like Bryce Young's best trait. He sees the field great. So seeing him make those kind of mistakes are a little worrisome to me when I'm thinking, man, you're taking a guy who I think that was one of the best things he did, and now because I think you're putting him into such not good situations, he's already starting to regress on some of those things. Right? I think you got to get it figured out if you're Carolina quick. Yeah, but uh, I'll tell you one person who definitely has things figured out quite quickly is the number two pick, C.J. Stroud. He's just been he's just been brilliant every week. He seems to break a new record, and he seems to be getting better. But unfortunately for CJ Stroud and the Texans, they ended up falling twenty nineteen to a Falcons team that you know myself and Colin were over in London last week. Desmond Ritter and the Falcons were bloody awful. They were mm-hmm. awful. Um, but Desmond Ritter is five and zero at home as a Falcons, and I think he's unbeaten at home as a Cincinnati Bearcat. Is that the the college team? Uh, you know, yeah, he's, something about home comforts seems to to fire him up, and the Falcons ended up running out a twenty-one to nineteen winners today. Uh, despite Falcons scoring fourteen points in the fourth quarter, um, as much as CJ Stroud is, uh, you know, is is lighting everything up and is really impressed everybody. The Falcons and Bijan Robinson managed to get this one over the line. That Falcon seems tough. Like they are just not an easy opponent to beat for anybody. I mean, they're they're uh, the the athletic show. They they always refer to them as they're a bad team beater. This isn't me trying to call Houston a bad team, but they're a team that they have a really good run game. They have a really good run game, like a top five in the NFL run game. And then they have a very very stout defense with a lot of just big guys and a lot of good playmakers. Like Jesse Bates and AJ Terrell are very good on the back end. And you have guys like David Onyemata. You have Grady Jarrett. You have uh, like Bud Dupree, like you have very quality, like, and I think a big thing about their defense too, they have a lot of vets. Like they have a lot of guys that have been in the league for a while. Like Jesse Bates is a smart player. Grady Jarrett has been on this Atlanta defense for a long time. David Onyemata, who came over from New Orleans with the new defense coordinator, Ryan Nielsen, it's like an 11 year vet. They are a hard team to just like, they're not going to beat themselves. And so many teams rely on teams beating themselves, especially when you talk about, well, not trying to like, but when you talk about like a Bobby Slovic run 49ers offense that I think a lot of is or a lot of it's based around kind of this a lot of misdirection, a lot of play action, a lot of let's try to get our guys into open space. 
when you're facing a lot more of these veteran defenses that I think are a lot more sound and a lot better at kind of, you know, communicating out coverages, it's hard to find those big open spaces to get your guys into. And we saw that today with them struggling to punch the ball into the end zone. CJ Stroud still looked excellent, though. I don't want to make it sound like he played a bad game. But I think, like, you know, we're going to see this Falcons team do this every single year where if you're not an elite team, this Falcons team is going to give you a game because they're well coached. Arthur Smith is a good coach. Like, he might not be a great coach, but he's a good coach. And they have playmakers everywhere. You know, we talked about Desmond Ritter having a really rough game. The hype about what Desmond Ritter could be is very much fueled by the fact that he's playing with multiple top five, top ten picks at their position. Some of the most exciting prospects at each position we've had in the past, like, decade. When you talk about B. John Robinson, Kyle Pitts, and Drake London. Like, those are some guys. If you can get him at least playing at an adequate level behind what is a very good offensive line with a very good running game and a good defense, this team's not easy to beat. And I think Houston just saw that today. I mean, again, you just you can see you continue to see Houston growing in the right direction. I think this was just kind of like this was just kind of a dogfight, honestly. And I think it just happened to be that the Falcons came out on top today. And I think a big part of that is just because of the experience. Yeah, but still, I, I imagine there's a lot of people in Houston that, despite the loss, are quite happy with CJ Stroud and all oh, happy yeah. that they got him. Uh, instead of Bryce Young, but that that's the way these things run in the NFL. Just a quick run of a couple of the other scores. The Lions bet the Panthers 42-24. In an AFC South clash, the Colts bet the Titans 23-16. So that means that both teams going into London next week are coming off the back of a loss and need to bounce back. So that'll be interesting if you're mm-hmm. flying over. Uh, I might run into you somewhere. And speaking of London, actually, you, uh, you're obviously in, in a, you're in Wisconsin, you're what, six hours behind we are in Ireland. Do you get up in the morning to, did you get up this morning to watch the Bills and the Jags? Oh yeah. Well, it's only like 8 a.m., 9 a.m. for me. Yeah, I got up for those. I get up for all that. It's actually nice. It's like, instead of having to wait for my three hours, I get to just like sit with a little cup of coffee, watch that opening game of the day. So yeah, I always get up for those. I actually, I watch a little Premier League too as well. I watched my Wolves this morning. Your Wolves? Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's, yeah. I wasn't ex- expecting. Is that a Timberwolves link? Is it? Is that a... Nope. Just, I, I, Wolverhampton, baby. I just, I like ugly teams. I like teams that play awful offensive games. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. Let's see teams not score points. Woo, that's my life. <laughs> oh, God. You love that. Uh, if you ever follow Gaelic football, you love any team from the province of Ulster. I'm sure there's people listening okay. to like that will agree in that. Um, so, yeah, did you... Uh, one thing I did say after watching the Jags last week is that if the Jags were going to beat the Bills, two things have to slow the Bills down. One, jet lag, which, is, which it very well might have done. And two, when Josh Allen tries to go for those plays where he gets 14 points at a time, they need to pick him off. And that's what the Jags did near the end. The Bills, after a huge statement win against the Dolphins, lose a game that they really should have won against the Jags this week. Yeah, no, I mean, the Jags, kind of like the Falcons, are a team that just, like, they've become a good defense seemingly overnight. Like, they are a team that has guys, you know? Like, you talk, Darius Williams made so many plays today. Like, he's truly, like, a top-ten corner in the NFL right now, and he does it every single week. Like, they have dudes at every single level. It's really fun to see. Like, Josh Allen and, uh, oh, my God, I can't think of their number one overall pick from last year, but Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker's, like, such a good run defender. Like, they just have a bunch of dudes, and it's really fun to watch. And when you talk about facing a Bills team that is this talented with Josh Allen coming off arguably the best game of his career. Like, it was a matchup. And, I mean, this was a really fun game to watch. You got, excuse me, uh, you got to see Calvin Ridley. Like, the Trevor Lawrence to Calvin Ridley connection is kind of cheating. Like, oh, my God. Trevor Lawrence just needs, he can get, like, a 30-yard field out throw just off of nothing. Like, I, there were so many plays 
blitz free runners coming at him and he just has a fadeaway and it's just Calvin Ridley is just right here next to the sideline little 25 yard pickup 15 yard pickup like just over and over and over and I mean sadly you did see the Bills defense just continues to kind of take on a lot of injuries to Ron Johnson honestly one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL very very good nickel corner one of the most underrated positions in the NFL he ended up going down at one point today uh I believe their defensive tackle whose name is blanking on me right now like they had a few players that are key pieces of this defense kind of go down and we've kind of seen that kind of I think take its toll over these past couple weeks but I mean this Jaguars team it was funny you know they they put out I think Jaguars like their media team put out a thing calling them a contender this week and a lot of people kind of gave them a lot of flack about it but it's funny when you like when you think about what like a quote contender is like a team that can truly beat anybody this Jaguars team can do that they have a they have one of these kaijus at quarterback and Trevor Lawrence. You know, you need him to not fumble so much. A lot of the a lot of people don't talk about how he really needs to clean up his turnover issues a lot more than he's seeming to focus on. But like when you have a guy like that, the weapons they have on the outside, a good running back with ETN, and then a defense that just continually makes plays and is very sound and is only growing again too. Like a lot of these guys, like we were talking about with one of these offenses earlier, like this is a young group that I think we can kind of count on to get better. It's exciting times for this Jaguars team. You know, they've got a lot of tough stuff in their division, and they've had some, like, this first month has been so weird for them, but it's kind of one of those things where, like, you can kind of choose how you want to look at it. Either A, they've been really ugly because, like, they're just not as good as everyone thinks, and they've kind of made a lot of mistakes, or it's kind of like, man, they've made a lot of mistakes, but they can clean those up. And if they clean those up, which in my mind, I I'm on this side of it. I think it's, they can clean up some of these little small errors they make. They could be an elite offense with a very good defense. And those teams usually go deep in the playoffs. Indeed they do. And it looks like that they could very easily top the division, but there's plenty of football left. And if the NFL has taught us anything is that never think, you know, what's going on because the second you think you do, it just goes top season. Mm-hmm. Frankie, I would thank you very much for for joining us. Uh, Jam Shane. We, we are, uh, as we're recording this, we're about to turn over to us the, the Cowboys play the 49ers. And on this week's Field Report, which will be available on Tuesday morning, I'll be talking to a beat, a beat writer, sorry, from Dallas to talk all things Cowboys. So hopefully we'll have a classic game to talk about that. Uh, make sure you listen to us during the week. If you like what you hear at the Irish NFL show, please tell a friend, share it, to, um, you know, sit on the plane to London next week be like here listen to these lads these are these are pretty good anything you can to share it we really do appreciate it uh, myself and Frankie are going to log off and to scream into a pillow after our games lost there we go 